All right, welcome back to the Digital Social Hour. I'm your host, Sean Kelly, along with my co-host, Wayne Lewis. What up, what up? And our guest today, Sean Rakijish. How we doing? Doing good. Thanks for having me, guys. How was that pronunciation? You, you nailed it, actually. Not First bad, try, man. good job. All right. Um, so give people a little backstory on what you do. Uh, I am a YouTuber and business owner, so pretty good mix. I own four companies, but the one people te- seem to know about is my Airbnb portfolio, and then I've been teaching Airbnb for six years on YouTube. Nice. Wow. How many homes do you have on Airbnb? Uh, 155. Holy. What? Yeah. You have <laughs> got a 155, 155 homes. I thought I was doing my thing with nine, but shit. Hey, that's a, that's a thing. <laughs> I mean, 155, right? Yeah. So do you own all of the properties? Own zero. Sublease. Yep. Oh, not technically, but yeah, a lot of people think it's called subleasing. Well, it's, it's arbitrage, right? Exactly right. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's more appropriate. It, it's arbitrage. So... The platforms you use is what? Well, Airbnb is the primary one, mm-hmm. and Verbo has been growing pretty well. We do some. I haven't heard of Verbo. Yet. I've heard of Verbo. You heard of Verbo? Yeah. yeah. So Verbo is like HomeAway Expedia. So Expedia owns a bunch of sites like HomeAway and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then HomeAway was like this conglomerate of like 110 websites. Mm-hmm. A lot of them were like European, a lot of just like little bit and breakfast sites, and they pushed right. them all together. And then when they all merged. Verbo kind of took over the brand in large. Wow. But if you're on Verbo, you're like on HomeAway and stuff like that too. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you basically put down $0 for those 155 properties? Mostly, right? Um, so sometimes landlords will want like the first month's rent or they'll want a security deposit. Uh, you obviously have to come out of pocket for furniture. But uh, it, I, before I did Airbnb, I owned a sales organization for like 10 or 12 years. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I like to do is negotiate special terms with landlords, like not giving them rent upfront. And a lot of times it works. So really? yeah, well, how do you do that? that for cheap? Yeah. What's the script for that? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I can give you elements of it because the sales system would probably be like a 45 minute long conversation kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, like first I just call landlords, get them on the phone to try to get them to meet me. How do you so, get their number though? They're everywhere, right? For rent signs. Okay. Right? So you could get on Zillow and try to find people like trying to rent out on Zillow. Mm. But landlords that are doing it themselves usually just put a line, like a sign up on the, in the yard or some stuff like that. Okay. If you find like uh, a Zillow listing, sometimes you run into a real estate agent or property manager and you have to make like a more formal presentation to them, kind of like at scale, like, hey, I can rent a bunch of properties from you. Mm-hmm. So let's do big business. But a landlord, you say, hey, I found your house online or I saw your yard sign. It looks great. I'd like to come in and take a look at the property. And since I own a business, I'd like to, you know, meet with you and discuss like how my business operates, see if there's a good fit. Mm. Can I bring you coffee tomorrow or Friday or something to see your property? So getting somebody on the phone to meet them at their property is probably the most important thing because when you pitch arbitrage, they need to trust you. It's mm. probably one of the biggest things. If you're trying to pitch arbitrage on the phone, like, hey, I like your house, but I'd like to short-term rent it. You're just some stranger on the phone. Mm-hmm. They're like, hell no, right? But if you meet them, you talk about their family, their dogs, whatever, their history as a landlord, and you build rapport for like 20-ish minutes, right. and then you talk about your business model. And after we do what I would call like our story script for like the fact that we're doing good to do short-term rentals instead, uh, the, our closing line is, so what questions do you have for me? Mm-hmm. We don't even ask for the sale yet, right? What questions do you have for me? And we expect most landlords to really not know the industry well enough. So then they'll ask all these questions like, okay, so who's coming or whatever. Mm-hmm. 15 minutes in, you can actually see in their body language if they're comfortable or open-minded. And I, that's really at the point you ask to you know, apply. You say, hey, so what's the next step? You got an application? Something like that. So what would stop the landlord from simply taking all the information that you're giving them and applying it themselves? I, why most? Why, I get so much trouble for saying this with some people. Some people hate that I say this, but landlords are lazy. Gotcha. And it's not that landlords are lazy, like like bad people, mm-hmm. but the nature of short-term rentals is, or the nature of long-term rentals is passive, 
right? Mm. You buy a property, you get a tenant, you get a monthly check, you usually get a property manager so you don't have to collect the monthly checks. You say, screw doing um, maintenance, somebody else will do that. Mm. And landlords are trying to become as passive as possible with all the properties. Right. So when they find out that there's more cash flow in short-term rentals, they might go, oh, that's way cool. But when they find out that they have to take a phone call at maybe even 1 a.m., right? And they have to answer what they consider to be dumb questions twice or three times a week for people checking in. Mm. They have to manage housekeepers to clean the stuff. They don't want to do all that. They're out. So it's the work that they Mm. don't want to do. What's the best way to furnish these properties if they're not furnished? They're most always going to not be furnished and you kind of want it that way, right? Um, The bar for design is getting higher and higher. Back in the day when I, 2014, the end of 2014, when I got started, you could literally throw a bed on the floor and people were so like excited to be doing Airbnb (laughs) that they would sleep there, right? But it's not like that anymore. You can't just have like a, like a frat dorm. It has to be aesthetically friendly. It has to look good. Mm. Yeah. It's got to look powerful. A lot of our walls are dark, actually. We just went through and painted all of the walls dark. Any property that wasn't performing at scale to a certain like dollar amount, Mm -hmm. we just redesigned them. And the main thing we did was go with dark walls as a way to contrast. Yeah. Because the main photo that you have on Airbnb, you get one photo, right? And there's a bunch of listings showing up in map view and there people are just scrolling through 20, 30, 40 listings. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them are like either outdoors, right? Where you see like the outside of a log cabin and some water or inside you see white walls and nice furniture, but everything's clean and pristine. Mm-hmm. But if you've got an interior photo where everything's like really dark and moody, people are like, whoa, this one looks different. And the whole law of contrast, mm-hmm. people notice what contrasts. So they'll click on the one that's different. Mm. If everything else was blue and you are orange, they'll click on you. Wow. So we went with dark walls for that reason. Right. The best way to do it is honestly do it yourself and take a little time to try to figure out a design style that you think kind of even expresses yourself because you'll put more love into something that's self-expression. Right. If a landlord was renting you a furnished property, they're probably doing the minimum mm-hmm. and doing the minimum won't work on Airbnb. So you want to give it some love. I like, that plants and, yeah, and chandeliers and like just all, all sorts of different stuff like texture and color and stuff right. like that. And mm-hmm. what cities are you targeting? Uh, I was in eight. I just shut down Philly. Um, Why? But crime. Crime. Uh, it was actually really bad. So there's a group of like 40 kids that were like in a gang that started breaking into a bunch of Airbnbs. They stayed in a bunch and then started breaking into them and stealing everything. Wow. Then they killed a 75-year-old guy on the street, not in my property, thank God, mm-hmm. but they got caught on a security camera like murdering some 75-year-old dude. Wait, was and, that on the news? Yeah. I've seen that. Yeah, same kids. And then the sergeant of the police force finally got back to us about all of our criminal complaints. Wow. But after they caught the three kids or four kids that were involved, mm-hmm. they went back to not caring. And the whole gang's like 40 people. I heard they also shot like a 13-year-old girl who uh, could, like, like ratted on them. Wow. So, and it was like six or seven months of just constant break-ins mm-hmm. and it was nuts. They even left their school IDs. A lot of them were in high school. They left, we even like had their school IDs and called their school up and we tried everything to stop it. But at that point, it was like putting my housekeepers in danger, right. you know? And I'm like, no, nah, we're not going to, like my housekeepers aren't going to like, deal it. with gangs. Wow. I didn't so, know Philly was like that. Philly can be, oh, yeah. Philly can go hard, man. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Philly? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So now we're all Texas. Dallas, all Texas. Dallas, yeah, Dallas Houston, Fort Worth, yeah. Real estate's cheap out there. Well, yeah, and that does affect the rental market, right? Cheaper real estate means cheaper rents, typically. Um, but a lot of that's circumstantial now, too. Everything's in a bubble, right? So a lot of things are also expensive, but people will list a price subjectively. So sometimes landlords are in a bind, and even though they list their price too expensive and it's not meeting the market, if they go empty for two months, like no tenant for two months, they get nervous. Right. They'll give you discounts. They'll give you free rent. We'll get eight or 12 weeks of rent for free. Wow. Yeah, when we when we activate a lease. A good place, too, in Houston is like Midtown area, Downtown area. Those places are So that used to be the spot, right? Midtown, Downtown, and then East Downtown. Because East Downtown Houston, 
it's like just as close to Georgia Brown and all the good stuff. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it yeah. was where all the property was cheaper. Yeah, back yeah, in the day. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And so that was really good. Now we're in the suburbs. We're doing a lot of like suburban Houston stuff. Where like Pearland, Sugarland. Yeah, like Sugarland, Katy, Baytown, yeah. mm. like just different spots like that. Right. Pasadena's always popped for mm. some reason. So you, are you doing homes or townhomes or Mo- apartments or most? Mostly apartments. Mostly we do apartments. have some houses, but mostly mm. apartments. Yeah. yeah Would you say uh, Airbnb is recession proof? No, no, I don't think really, I don't really think much is recession proof, right? Um, Airbnb itself is travel and hospitality, mm-hmm. right? And some people like real estate is recession proof, right? Depending on what the recession is, right? But what, one of our recessions was actually the deflation of the housing mar- market 2009, mm-hmm. right? The housing market was not recession proof in 2009 because it was the recession. Right. So um, if it's a currency issue or if it's an oil issue, those are different, mm. right? And when Houston had like an oil recession in 2014-15, Airbnb still boomed. So mm. in that case, it was recession proof. It was pandemic proof too because we started in a pandemic and boy, mm-hmm. boy, boy. Because remember, no, nobody was coming to Vegas. It was yeah. dead. Every Everybody was partying in Texas. 100%. Yeah, so that's got that got our. Oh, so your properties are in Texas? All of them, yeah. Because remember, Vegas was dead. Even Toro, yeah, yeah, couldn't do anything here. Where people were riding their bikes on the strip, it was pointless. Yeah, they call it revenge travel. Is what they call it? (laughs) Is that what it's called? Revenge travel. They called it revenge travel. Everybody got locked up, and then when they were finally able to travel, they were spending all their money Mm -hmm. in travel. So they called it revenge travel. Yeah, and I also didn't realize like how many conventions and trade shows going in um, Houston, Texas, and Texas in general. Like everyone goes there. Yeah, Houston's Houston's a huge city. It's like fourth largest yeah. in the country. What? Yeah. Wow. It was it was creeping up on Chicago. I, I don't know if it's bigger than Chicago yet, but they said it was projected to become wow. bigger. Than largest Chicago. in terms of people, right? Population. Yeah. yeah. And 150 people are moving there daily. Wow. I think Austin might be beating them per day. For real. And so because wow. Austin has less populace, its rate of growth is nuts. Are you uh, are you doing a lot? Do you have a lot of properties in in Austin? Yeah, we we're pushing into Austin. We've got a good spread of properties in Austin. We finally found a property manager that's like super progressive and wants to like yeah. get into magazines and stuff. Yeah. So like he likes to play ball. It's kind of fun. nice. Austin is a, is a growing place. Silicon Valley's out there now, right? Yeah, that's yeah. a lot of the growth is coming from that. Yeah. But that caused a housing bubble too, and yeah. now Austin home prices are like they they think they're they're going to pull back like twenty five percent. Oh, which could cause a washing out of the market. And if that happens and a lot of people bail, then there's going to be all this inventory empty and Mm -hmm. that could be a good time to do like Airbnb again, Mm -hmm. you know, so. Would you say Airbnb arbitrage is safer than just buying houses on your own and then doing it that way, the traditional way? If you are going to do just Airbnb and you're not buying the home for other reasons, then yeah. I think so too. Yeah. Well, because it doesn't affect your DTI as much and then it's it's a... it's a quicker get 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 in. You have to understand when you buy a home, it's so many pay, it's so much paperwork, it's so much mm-hmm. legwork that you have to do, proof mm-hmm. of income and everything else. Yeah. And you're locked into the property, right? Forever. Right. So let's say the market pulls back and you fail as a host, and you want to unwind the deal, you have right. to sell the house. Mm-hmm. You have to pay a commission to the realtor both ways, right. right? In and out. And now that the markets are like risk, the risk of the market is that the home prices might pull back next over the course of the next year. You could buy a house, lose a few percent on like depreciation because home prices go down, and then you have to sell the home. Right. It could be a mess. Yeah. Right. Where with with leases, you just you're out the money for the furniture, and if you don't like a deal, you could unwind the lease. Literally. Right? Yeah. Right. You can get out of the lease, yeah. and you don't have to worry about paying a realtor commission right. or anything. Mm. So when you're first getting into short term rentals, I think leases are probably the best way to go because it really is like some of the lowest skin in the game. Mm-hmm. And some of the lowest consequence if you bail on mm-hmm. it, which is nice. Right. Um, and I'm actually writing a book on this. Leases are a form of debt. You know, like a car lease, like you do Toro, you, mm-hmm. you mentioned, right? Yeah. You can lease cars and put them on Toro, but de- a, a car lease is a form of debt. It goes in your credit, mm-hmm. right? 
a, a, a home lease or an apartment lease doesn't go on your credit. Unless mm. you're negative, unless you like get evicted or you skip out. Yeah, but if you have a thousand paid leases, you have zero reported, yeah. right? If you have 10 car leases, you have 10 car leases reported, right? right? right. So you could, let's say you make 100,000 a year and you're applying to places where the rent's like under two grand mm -hmm. and they expect you to make eight grand a month, right, for a lease. You could take your same 100,000 a year and apply at a thousand different places yep. at the same time. Yep. Whoa. Get a thousand different approvals mm -hmm. and now have a thousand apartments off the same income. Yeah. Whoa. You can't go buy hundred homes on the Holy same hundred grand. Yeah, most, yeah. most places aren't running your credit. They're looking at your financials. They just Whoa. want to know, can you pay the lease? And there's no crosstalk. Landlords don't crosstalk. There's no regulatory agencies wow. to make sure you're not over This is a hack right here. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's the Wild West still. It's pretty crazy. That's crazy. And then, so let me ask you this. How do you handle places that Say no to Airbnbs. Do you renegade them? Like, fuck oh it, no I'm, way! I'm gonna do it anyway. That's not sustainable. I've done right. that a couple of times, and a couple of the properties that we do have are still there. That's funny. Um, <laughs> I try to get them to allow us to, even though they don't allow it in general. Mm -hmm. As a professional organization, as a right. business with a track record, right. we try to get them to make the exception because we are who we are. Mm -hmm. Right. So we really try to meet it head on. Yeah. Um, we we definitely don't do the whole like I, I used to call it ghost hosting. Yeah, we just renegade. Like Germany. we like the property. Yeah, we're setting this shit up. Bro, oh. they Airbnb showed up to my boy's house. Mm -hmm. They said you can't do this. Like people physically showed up. Yeah, well, see mm -hmm. if the obviously if you get caught by the leasing offices, they'll shut you down. Some will, but a lot of the time, or they won't just renew the lease. But I mean, we've we, we've kind of I think we've gotten booted from one place. And you know what? Even if you get permission, if you run a shit organization, they're going to want to kick you out anyway. Yep. Mm. Right? So in your case, you have to then become much more diligent about not having any bad guests. Right. Really controlling who comes in. Right. And yeah, if you did it under the radar and but had no problems ever, mm -hmm. then in, in a way they may not catch you. At all. As long as your staff isn't, as long as your customers aren't bugging their staff mm -hmm. and not causing trouble, then yeah, you could fly on it. Yeah. But do you, we don't want to take that risk. How do you prevent bad guests and do you have any nightmare yeah. tenant stories? <laughs> well, the the gang in Philadelphia is pretty oh, yeah. good, right? Um, and it's not only that. I mean, we had uh, an apartment in Houston get completely robbed once. Somebody wow. stayed for nine days. They cleared everything out, robbed everything. And when we came to clean, everything was gone. But isn't this license on the app when he books the place? Well, yes. But, I mean, people use fake IDs or fake – they'll do still an account. Still okay. do all sorts of weird stuff. And um, Airbnb paid for everything, right? Okay. So that, that's all right. Um there's there's a mix of, there's a mix of red flags when you're when you're an Airbnb host or even on Verbo right there's a mix of red flags. If somebody books super last minute, that's red flag. If they're local when they book, that's red flag. Mm. If you drop your price too much, that's also red flag. Mm. Um, and if they have no reviews, that's red flag. So some of the ways that they speak and what they like how they communicate, you can look for red flags in communication. If you get a booking and you go to call the phone number and it says like the Google Voice subscriber cannot be reached, oh, man. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Terrible. Red flag. That's a bad sign. So we look for combinations of red flags. Okay. We try to price our listing to get completely full enough days in advance that we don't get last minute bookings if we can prevent it. Okay. But then if we get last minute bookings from locals or people with shady phone numbers, then we will actively look to find out if they're a risk. And you can type somebody's phone number and put it into white pages mm -hmm. and it will show you if they have a criminal record wow. with not, without having to pull the criminal record. They won't show you what the record is, mm. but they'll show you how many hits on their criminal record there is. Interesting. Mm. So if they, have a, if they have a good number of hits on their criminal record, like it's like say six or more like traffic and or criminal record hits, you might go, okay, this person's got some history. Right. And you could say, hey, Airbnb, I'm concerned. Um, this person, you know, the book last minute, doesn't mm -hmm. have any reviews. 
Um, I punch their phone number into a public director directory, and it says that they have a criminal record. Mm. And you know, I don't know if you guys screen them appropriately, but I don't know if this is a safe guest. You can do something like that. Doesn't Airbnb screen for criminal records? They're not always no. going to get everything. Call, they use their own software. Lot, bro. Oh, it yeah. does. They have to pay every time they scan a, a client. Every what? Time. Yeah, yeah, when you use third-party services, right? Yeah. Um, there are ways to pull people's records. You can get on the Texas Vine and try to look up stuff. Like you could start to aggregate the data, mm. but it's a lot of work. So yeah. Airbnb does some stuff within their software that cross-checks people and checks public directories and stuff. But they're not—they're not always going to get it. Yeah, but you have to gain. You have to ask for access to access. Most people are going to deny a background check just because. Yeah, if you, you know, if you want to if you want to give somebody full unadulterated access to a background check, you have to get it signed off on. Mm. And some part of apartments we have to do that. Right. Right. The apartments like everybody has to be criminally screened, so we make them fill out a document for background check and pay forty bucks for it. And how do you feel from a portfolio standpoint? when it comes to a real estate portfolio and an Airbnb portfolio. Some people separate those, but would you say they're similar in when it comes to, I feel like Airbnb is a higher return. Yeah, naturally. Um, and it, it's it, better it, passive income. Well, Airbnb should make a higher return because it's an actively managed right. portfolio. And it's a daily, it's a daily return. Yeah, it's, um, it's that you are changing the nature of the product. So Airbnb is not real estate. Right. Okay, so, so what do you consider it? It's hospitality. Mm. Oh, just hospitality. Okay. You can have a real estate portfolio, mm -hmm. but then be conducting Airbnb out of it. Mm -hmm. And you should have another business entity conducting right. your short-term rentals. Right, right? right. You have a real estate portfolio that should be getting rents paid from the hospitality company. Right. right? So now all of your real estate stuff, you got your long-term rents, mm -hmm. your monthly rent roll, all this stuff stays. Right. And then when you're running your hospitality business, you're doing like dynamic pricing, you're managing housekeepers, you're doing guest communication, reviews, resolutions, inventory mm -hmm. control, staging. There's all these business processes that exist inside, inside of short-term rentals. Right. None of this is real estate, right? Mm. Real estate doesn't go in and every So you don't even compare the two. So when it comes to the debate, is Airbnb real estate and a real estate portfolio, you like, it's no comparison. Mm. One is hospitality and one is actual real estate. You, do you guys pay rent for this box, mm, the studio? I mean, well, we uh, rent it out, yeah. Yeah, totally so... Different. So let's say that say you like say it was dedicated. You just only rent the studio, right? Mm -hmm. And the fact that you pay rent for the studio does that make it a real estate business? In some cases, right? I well, mean, no, because you're, you're you making money it. off this. You're making money off the content, mm -hmm. right? The fact that you rented a piece of real estate to do content doesn't make it a real estate play. Mm -hmm. If your barber rents a barber shop and cuts hair, it's not a real estate play. Because he's doing his barbershop stuff out of a piece of real estate, mm. right? Oh, you mean he's actually leasing the, leasing the actual real yeah. estate to do business yeah. out of. And yeah, it doesn't yeah, matter sure. if the barber owns or rents the barbershop. Right. His barbershop, like his business, isn't real estate. Right. Mm. So it's just the same way. Your short-term rental is not a real estate play. It's actually a hospitality product. Mm. And it doesn't matter if you own that piece of real estate or if you rent it. Once that short-term rental company is operating, that's a hospitality business. So right. that settles the argument then. Yeah. Airbnb is hospitality. It's Interesting. Yeah. Interesting take. Yeah, because there's, 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 there's so many stores people that goes buy or rent. Um, yeah. Chick-fil-A will own their properties. Mm -hmm. McDonald's will own their properties. McDonald's is a real estate company, actually. Yeah, because what yeah. they do is they actually try to buy land where they think it's going to appreciate. Right. And then they, they set up this like almost no-fail business. And then they get so much appreciation from their real estate. So yeah, it, it, like McDonald's has this real estate holdings play involved as a franchise. And as a franchise right. owner, you technically don't own the real estate. You own the actual operation aspect mm -hmm. of the McDonald's, but you don't. You'll never oh, wow. own the they foundation. They keep the land. Absolutely mm -hmm. interesting. <laughs> yeah. So then, so then the franchise owner isn't in real estate. Yeah. He's, you guys he's know uh, Starbucks is a bank. Yeah. I'm, uh, oh, yeah. sick. Yeah. Starbucks is sense. a bank. Yeah. They got billions of dollars because mm -hmm. people Love. deposit on the app. 
and they just leave the money there. Yeah, it's like the whole gift card thing. Yeah, yeah. Starbucks yeah. is the bank. Yeah, yeah, it's it's sick. If you can, you can hold a float of a billion dollars and you can do a whole much a whole bunch of money. Yeah, yeah. you see uh, Airbnb getting saturated. Oh, it's already has been, but it's actually getting washed out now. How is it getting washed out? Uh, the way it's getting washed out is, uh, you know, the whole Airbnb bust thing. No. Okay, so uh, you probably know because you're, you're in Airbnb the space. Bust. People were calling it the Airbnb bust this year, right? So what happened is after COVID hit. Um, all these uh, people started getting into short-term rentals because the money was good. The revenge travel led to higher revenue. Right. And then next thing you know, everybody's a guru, right? I can't tell you how many <laughs> how many kids are online saying, I'll show you how to make a million bucks on Airbnb, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. And so now all these influencers are pushing short-term rentals and then all these people get into it and now there's all this supply mm-hmm. and then the winter hits and the economy starts to get choppy because mm-hmm. of like, you know, recession fears and then people stop spending money, mm. right? And so now we've got nearly like 50% the normal supply of short-term rentals. And then the average nightly rate drops like 15, 20%. Mm. So now both of those, the demand goes down and the supply has gone up like exponentially. Mm -hmm. And then a bunch of people ended up having empty calendars. And then Airbnb did an algorithm change right around November. And anybody who was slightly underperforming, they just kind of pushed everybody down like all the way and were protecting a small percentage of their portfolio that they wanted to perform. Interesting. Yeah, because they want to make sure that their best listings wouldn't quit. So they're like doing this who lives and who dies thing. Yeah, they have like a premier, a a premier host. Wow. Yeah, Yeah, and not just that though, even if you're not like a super host or anything, if your listing is consistently booked, you know, has good enough reviews and is making them money, they want to make sure that you don't quit the platform. Right, Right, because you're bringing the money. Yeah, so imagine they have a hundred hosts that could all quit. And if they evenly distributed not enough business to all of them, 90% of them would quit if they gave all of them even business. Right. If they gave the top half all the business, then the bottom half would quit and maybe like 10% of the top half. Interesting. So you'd lose 60%, right? Um, so they basically mitigate their losses by catering to a certain host. Right. Yeah. They're funneling all the business yeah, to the sense. people that they want to keep. Right. And so that's what caused the bust. Mm. Right. And but that means that people are quitting. Right. So there was Which is a good fight. thing, though, I think. You yeah. Know, I think it's a good thing because it's like you said, it's so, so many scam artists. It's oversaturated. But I think saturation is actually good. It shows that there's a market there. So there's a mm. there's a pro and a con to saturation. Yeah. 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 You're going to get a more volatile boom and bust cycle mm. in low barrier to entry businesses right. like this. So since Airbnb is low barrier to entry, people can get in pretty easy. Mm. And when everybody's, hey, get in, the getting's good, a lot of people will flood in because there's not really anything stopping them. So oversupply will happen fast, but then those people who don't really have any business in the space and also don't have any wherewithal because they got into an easy business, they'll wash out just as fast. So your supply will actually crest and and dip mm. much more fast than a regular real estate market. Yeah. Where re- like real estate is harder to get into, it takes time, Absolutely. right? And so that since that's slow to build, what they say the real estate cycle is what, 18 years? A lot of people say Something the like boom and bust cycle is more yeah, like 18 years. Yeah. I think short term rentals is like two and a half to three and a half year yeah. boom and bust cycle. Wow. That's quick. It's like crypto. Yeah. Because anybody can get into it, right? Yeah. The low barrier to entry is the, what really defines the supply and demand curve. Yeah. I want to touch up on one more thing before we wrap this up. You took mm-hmm. a year off from work. Yeah. What did you learn during that year? And would you recommend other people try that? Um, how professional am I supposed to be on this podcast? You can be uh, as much professional okay. or um, yourself. Yeah. Professional. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, uh, since I took a year off, I went. there's a few things that happened, right? I immediately went into a form of depression. I call oh. it a crisis of purpose, right? Um, I was a workaholic for 10 plus years, mm-hmm. right? I grew up super poor on welfare. I went homeless in 2009, started my first business out of a van that I was living in. What mm-hmm. business was that? I sold newspaper subscriptions. Mm-hmm. 
right? And so I built teams that sold newspaper subscriptions. So like the Las Vegas Journal Review, I'd build like a sales team. Gotcha. And you'd see us in like grocery stores, mm, stuff like that. Nice. So I built a company out of that. And that's what got me to Airbnb mm. is I had apartments where I was housing sales staff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had all these apartments that were furnished and then nobody was staying in them. So I put them on Airbnb to like not mm. lose money. But so being a workaholic from 2010 to 2020, essentially, um, I caught COVID and then realized like, man, I'm, I, I, I was overweight. I was not happy. I was, I had bruises that weren't healing for like months. I was like sick. I had like candida overgrowth and stuff like that. So then I decided to try to get healthy and then automate my business. And um, I had that crisis of purpose where no one needed me. Mm. All of a sudden, first time in my life, no one called me. No one needed me. I'm like, what am I doing? Damn. So wait, does, does my life have no meaning. No one needed you? Yeah, because as the owner of a company, you make sure that people know like that yeah. you're the boss and that people need you. They call you, ask you questions. Yeah. You have to go save the day all the time, right? It's so right, people who saves the superhero. Yeah, I guess you could you could you could put it like that. I need people who would just accept me for doing nothing at that point. Damn. Right? It my in my identity was directly tied to how much value I was providing every single day. Right? Mm-hmm. And so the moment I was no longer doing anything, I felt not valuable. Mm. So I started taking psychedelics. Okay. Actually, yeah, and I did. I did acid for the first time at Burning Man this okay. last year, um, and they've helped me with like my childhood trauma. A lot of the stuff that's caused me to be the workaholic guy. So acid, mushrooms. Uh, I started with mushrooms. Um, I started with mushrooms, and that was really what helped me with a lot of my childhood trauma. Wow. Um, but acid helped me with like the existentialism of trying to be like an alpha dominant male thing. Okay. And you know, like the whole I don't ever want to die kind of shit that yeah. you know we all. You had an ego by. death. Um, kind of probably a form of it. You know, probably a form of it. And um, and uh, yeah, and so that really led me to, uh, I guess, a, a place of more peace and kind of like acceptance and altruism. And even though I'm back to running the company now because the CEO stepped out when the bust happened and I started taking over everything, um, my relationship with work is different. Um, I'm also doing like content on other stuff now. I'm starting a mm-hmm. channel on how to do content. Mm-hmm. And on TikTok, I'm doing dating and masculinity and spirituality content. Okay. So I'm just, I see, we, we should have touched on oh, that. Oh, man. Yeah, I didn't know. know. Plug yeah. that. I just plugged it. So, right, um, sure. but yeah, so like lots changed. So I, I traveled the world for like a year. I got into landscape photography, started doing psychedelics like as a form of therapy. Do you still do psychedelics? Yeah. I mean, I microdose like every day or every. Other uh, I day. don't microdose, uh, but I will make it a point to intentionally have an experience. And I journal. Like if I do acid, I actually journal. I'm writing wow. a book on masculinity, and a lot of my thoughts come from my acid. Like wow. Well, I got to yeah. read that book. <laughs> yeah, I will say acid changed my perspective when I did it in college. It really did. There's a study that they did that shows what's that people the twelve months later their acids? lives are better. Yeah. Yeah, but what's the difference between acid and shrooms? Well, acid's synthetic, right? It's fake, yeah. Yeah, is that, what is it, made by the government, probably? Supposedly. Yeah, it lasts for like 10 or 12 hours. Um, uh, Psilocybin in mushrooms is a toxin, and as your body processes it, it creates the psychedelic effect. Mm. Acid was like designed. (laughs) And I mean, I can't tell you at a high level what the real differences are, Mm -hmm. but um, I can tell you that the type of thoughts that I have are completely different. Wow. And like, like I have clarity, I have energy on acid and I'm actually, I was at a music show on acid. I'm journaling in my phone, just mm-hmm. writing as I'm listening to music. I'm journaling. Wow. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a good time. All right, man. It's been a blast. We got to touch up on that on part two, but yeah. where can people find you and learn more about you? Well, my name's Sean Rocky Jeech on YouTube. That's how you find me. Just, or type in Airbnb and then look for the beard on the thumbnails. Right? <laughs> YouTube thumbnails. Um, and then, uh, I mean, you'll find my name on Instagram, just same place. And then rockygeech.com is Perfect. my website. Wayne? You can find me on Instagram at right there. <laughs> All right.
right. Sean Kelly here. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Digital Social Hour. I'll see you next week. Peace.